Many people can quote a single line from Martin Luther King Jr. referring to judging people by the quote, content of their character. But most don't understand the context in which it was said. Dr. King has become a sanitized, whitewashed figure and most forget the complexity and controversies of the life of the man the FBI once considered to be, quote, the most dangerous Negro in the future of this nation. Hi, I'm Milton Allen Turner, and this week I'll be discussing Dr. King's views on race, history, and education. Welcome to this week's episode of Worldviews. Many people can quote a single line from Martin Luther King Jr.'s August 28, 1963 speech. Dr. King said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. The context of this famous I have a dream speech and those words must be put in context. Some try to use this quote to claim that Dr. King was dreaming about a colorblind society, a society where none of us should see any color. Dr. King began his famous speech in front of the Lincoln Memorial by lamenting the fact that 100 years after the Emancipation Proclamation, quote, the Negro still is not free. 100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. 100 years later, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile in his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. Dr. King further explained that, in a sense, we've come here to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But Dr. King continued, it is obvious today that America has defaulted on this promissory note insofar as our citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring the sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check that's come back marked insufficient funds. But, Dr. King added, we refuse to believe that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And so we've come to cash this check, 
a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and security of justice. When taken in this context, we see that Dr. King was actually arguing for a colorful world or society, one where color was seen and taken into consideration. Because for Dr. King, the most important thing was justice. And there could be no justice without an honest assessment of history and of the current situation. Dr. King began his speech with such an assessment, which is, at the very least, a call for racial justice, and at the extreme, is a call for reparations. It's become far too common, even fashionable, for conservatives to use Dr. King's content of their character quote to claim that Dr. King would be in favor of any number of conservative agendas or that he would be against things like the teaching of race or African-American history in schools. However, nothing could be farther from the truth. Now, Dr. King was a complex and often polarizing character for blacks and whites alike. The FBI viewed him as being, quote, the most dangerous Negro in the future of this nation, unquote. Some blacks views Dr. King as being too establishment and not radical enough, whereas others viewed him as being a rabble-rousing troublemaker. Even though Ronald Reagan signed the legislation that created the MLK National Holiday into law in 1983, several states, notably Arizona, resisted, which resulted in a boycott and eventually moving the 1993 Super Bowl from Phoenix to Pasadena. In 1989, only 44 states had an MLK holiday. It wasn't until 1999 that all 50 states made MLK a paid state holiday. And it wasn't until 2000 that all 50 states recognized Martin Luther King Jr. by name, as opposed to calling the holiday Civil Rights Day or Human Rights Day. And there are still some southern states, such as Virginia, Arkansas, Alabama, Mississippi, and South Carolina, where the MLK holiday is packaged or con-celebrated with Confederate holidays such as Robert E. Lee's birthday. In his 1967 book, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos or Community? Dr. King noted the importance of honestly confronting our history. Far from minimizing or ignoring the color of our skin, Dr. King argued that you must recognize our color, our history, and our plight. He wrote, It's impossible for white Americans to grasp the depths and dimensions of the Negro dilemma without understanding what it means to be a Negro in America. Being a Negro in America 
means being scarred by a history of slavery and family disorganization. Negroes have grown accustomed now to hearing unfeeling and insensitive whites say, well, other groups such as the Irish, the Jews, and the Italians started out with similar handicaps, and yet they made it. Why haven't the Negroes done the same? These questioners refuse to see that the situation of other immigrant groups 100 years ago and the situation of the Negro today cannot be usefully compared. The Negroes were brought here in chains long before the Irish decided voluntarily to leave Ireland or the Italians thought of leaving Italy. Some Jews may have left their homes in Europe involuntarily, but they were not in chains when they arrived on these shores. Other immigrant groups came to America with language and economic handicaps, but not with the stigma of color. Above all, no other ethnic group has been a slave on American soil, and no other group has had its family structure deliberately torn apart. This is the rub. Dr. King added, Today, there is considerable discussion about the disintegration of the Negro family in urban ghettos. We need only to learn something about the special origins of the Negro family to discover the root of the problem. The Negro family, for 300 years, has been on the tracks of the racing locomotives of American history, dragged along, mangled, and crippled. Professor Thomas Pettigrew has pointed out that American slavery is distinguished from all other forms of slavery because it consciously dehumanized the Negro. Dr. King further asserted that the greatest blasphemy of the whole ugly process of slavery and white supremacy was that the white man ended up making God his partner in the exploitation of the Negro. What greater heresy has religion known? Dr. King highlighted that we should not be ashamed of our humanity or our imperfections, but rather we must face and embrace them. He said, quote, virtually all of the founding fathers of our nation, even those who rose to the heights of the presidency, those whom we cherish as our authentic heroes, were so enmeshed in the ethos of slavery and white supremacy that not one ever emerged with a clear, unambiguous stand on Negro rights. No one human being is perfect. But Dr. King also pointed out that there also comes a responsibility to educate ourselves and to act. Dr. King insisted that, quote, in the final analysis, the white man cannot ignore the Negro's problem because he is a part of the Negro and the Negro is a part of him. The Negro's agony diminishes the white man and the Negro's salvation 
enlarges the white man. What is needed today on the part of white America is a committed altruism that recognizes the truth. Dr. King believed that, quote, white liberals must see that the Negro needs not only love, but also justice. It's not enough to say, we love the Negroes, we have many Negro friends. They must demand justice for Negroes. Love that does not satisfy justice is no love at all. The white liberal must affirm that absolute justice for the Negro simply means, in Aristotelian terms, that the Negro must have his due. Dr. King further noted that, quote, whites, it must frankly be said, are not putting in a similar mass effort to re-educate themselves out of their racial ignorance. It is an aspect of their sense of superiority that the white people of America believe that they have so little to learn. The reality of substantial investment to assist Negroes in the 20th century, adjusting to Negro neighbors and genuine school integration is still a nightmare for all too many white Americans. Dr. King warned that acting for justice was not an easy task. It is often a journey of fits and starts and reversals instead of a straight and smooth path. And Dr. King cited several historical examples. Dr. King wrote that one year after the signing of the historic Voting Rights Act by President Lyndon Johnson in August 1965, that, quote, the white backlash has become an emotional electoral issue in California, Maryland, and elsewhere. In several southern states, men long regarded as political clowns had become governors or only narrowly missed election. Their magic achieved through a witch's brew of bigotry, prejudice, half-truths, and whole lies. He further wrote that the tendency of this nation to, quote, take one step forward on the question of racial justice and then take a step backwards is still the pattern. Just as an ambivalent nation freed the slaves a century ago with no plan or program to make their freedom meaningful, the still ambivalent nation in 1954 declared school segregation unconstitutional with no plan or program to make integration real. Just as the Congress passed the Civil Rights Bill in 1868 and refused to enforce it, the Congress passed the Civil Rights Bill in 1964 and to this day has failed to enforce it in all its dimensions. Just as the 15th Amendment in 1870 proclaimed Negro suffrage only to permit its de facto withdrawal in half the nation, so, in 1965, the voting rights law was passed and then permitted to languish with only fractional and half-hearted implementation. 
While he was a student at Morehouse College, King wrote an essay entitled The Purpose of Education in 1947 that seems as relevant 76 years later as it was the year it was penned. King surmised, quote, It seems to me that education has a twofold function to perform in the life of man and in society. The one is utility. The other is culture. He continued to write that, quote, The function of education, therefore, is to teach one to think intensively and to think critically. But education, which stops with efficiency, may prove the greatest menace to society. The most dangerous criminal may be the man gifted with reason, but with no morals. We must remember that intelligence is not enough. Intelligence plus character, that is the goal of true education. The complete education gives one not only the power of concentration, but worthy objectives upon which to concentrate. The broad education will therefore transmit to one not only the accumulated knowledge of the race, but also the accumulated experience of social living. King concluded the essay by predicting, quote, if we're not careful, our colleges will produce a group of closed-minded, unscientific, illogical propagandists consumed with immoral acts. Be careful, brethren. Be careful, teachers. 20 years after writing that, King warned in 1967 that if we did not actively and immediately choose a path leading towards, quote, an all-embracing and unconditional love for all men, unquote, meaning a path leading towards nonviolent coexistence, meaning eventually community, that we were all inexorably headed on a path towards, quote, violent co-annihilation or chaos. Chaos is the result of ignoring our racial differences. Community, on the other hand, starts with recognizing, understanding, and embracing them. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show and that you found something in it to spark a deeper conversation leading to greater understanding. I'm Milton Allen Turner, and I invite you to join me again next week for more Worldviews.